Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. By the way, tomorrow we start the WFHB Fall Fun Drive, and it runs from Friday, October 1st through Sunday, October 10th. Very easy. Go to WFHB.org and press the quick and secure big red donate button. Or, and guess what? We have people back on the phones, people back in the studio. You can dial 812-323-1200 to keep this show and every other show that you enjoy here on WFHB on the air. Keep this signal going 24 hours a day as it does. We need your help. And we know you want to help us out. And interestingly enough, this week's guest is also a person who is uh, heavily involved in an endeavor that is nonprofit, that needs the help of the community at all times. Now, this fellow has been instrumental in the lives of a lot of young people here in Bloomington. I'm speaking of Steve Rockbonchek. He's the executive director and co-founder of the Harmony School. Steve, welcome to Big Talk. Nice being with you, Michael. You and your wife, Barbara, started this a long time ago. As a matter of fact, we're talking well over 40 years ago, this thing started up. You came from the Cleveland area and a tight-knit neighborhood where people knew everybody. You came here and didn't find that exact same thing. It inspired you. Actually, it's getting closer to 50 years. We started in February 1974. So this is our really our 48th school year. Wow. And as you said, I came from Cleveland to uh, come to college down here in 1967. And for myself, actually, I found a close-knit community. You know, I, I met my wife, had lots of friends, decided to stay here in the area. But when I decided to devote my life to working with young people, I found that a lot of the adolescents that I was meeting in the Bloomington area back in 1972, 73, 74, did not have their extended families here. They had moved uh, here from other parts of the country because their parents may have been coming to the university. So they didn't have aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents here. And then in addition to that, many of the adolescents I was meeting, their parents were no longer married to each other. So there was a further separation from their extended family. So that just made a big impression on me because I, I knew how much that extended family support and those tight neighborhoods that I lived in in Cleveland, how much they meant to me growing up and to my siblings and, and, uh, and my friends. I decided that really uh, that I would start, my wife and I would start a school really based on that concept of really having the teachers uh, really be more like aunts and uncles to the kids and, you know, really having very as little separation as possible really between school life and, and other life going on. So we were interested from the beginning in the kids knowing where we lived, a lot about us, and we wanted to know what they were doing on the weekends and the evenings and summer times as well, not just during the hours they were in school. 
Now, as I understand the story, you and your wife, Barbara Bonchek, who's now retired, you started this school on a farm. No, we did not actually. Ah. We had our own farm that we had just purchased back in the early 70s. And we thought about having a, a live-in school on the farm. And we looked at do, into doing that. But actually, for a variety of reasons, we actually started it in Bloomington uh, at an old house on Grant Street, a house that now belongs to the Grant Street Inn, actually. But that's where we started at 318 North Grant. Did you buy that house or did you rent it? No, it was actually, it was a condemned house. And <laughs> the fellow that owned it, owned Baskin Robbins over at the old Crosstown Shopping Center. As they said, it was a condemned house. And I knew that it was halfway between Kirkwood and 10th Street. It was two and a half blocks from Kirkwood and two and a half blocks from 10th Street. And on Kirkwood, there was a place back in the early 70s called Rocky's Pool Hall. And 10th and Grant, there was a place called Gary's Pinball. <laughs> so I knew that a lot of the kids, the adolescents, when they weren't in school, if they were skipping school that day or even after school, they were hanging out either at the pool hall on Kirkwood or the pinball place on 10th Street. <laughs> so the fact that we found a place two and a half blocks between them and the kids really had to walk by our house in order to go from one to the pool hall, to the pin hall, pinball place or vice versa. So it seemed like it was meant to be when we found this condemned house there. And this fellow, Mr. McDaniels, told us that we could have it to try to renovate and to bring up to health and fire codes to become a school. So that's where we started. The Harmony School is a private alternative school. I like to, excuse me, I like to say independent more than private because uh -huh. we value our independence, but I had never, I had never stepped foot in a private school prior to starting Harmony School. So I knew I didn't want it to be a school that only served a elite or a special student body. Those were the kind of private schools I was most familiar with in Cleveland. So I knew I didn't want that kind of private school. So I like the term independent because we value our autonomy. Sort of reminds me of that weird thing that goes on in uh, Great Britain where what are called public schools are really private schools and vice versa. When we do use the word private school, we call ourselves a private school with a public purpose. Aha. Uh -huh. Harmony offers uh, early childhood, elementary, middle, and high school programs, also community youth programs. You've been doing that, as you say, for nearly half a century. My gosh, it gets sort of scary when you think in terms of that, doesn't it? Yeah, and, I, and I'm only 55 years old, which is the amazing thing. Wow, you were a, a, a prodigal child. <laughs> in 2009, there was a nice big article about you folks in Bloom Magazine, and I'm going to quote from it, and I'm going to play devil's advocate with it. So here goes. Now, they talk about how in a typical school, there's always a rushing about between classes and kids banging their locker doors and bumping into each other in the uh, hallways. But this quote says, it's not like that at the Harmony School. Rather than witnessing the frenzied exchanges that mark passing periods in a traditional school, 
you would find, and this is the Harmony School, you would find students taking up residence in the hallway to strum guitars, enjoy slices of pizza, or cuddle with classmates. Now, again, as I say, here's the devil's advocate in me. I can imagine a ton of people saying, this is precisely what's wrong with schools like Harmony. We don't advocate necessarily that every school become like Harmony. You know, we believe that young people and their families need different options. So for people that choose this kind of option, which is a more informal type of educational environment that still has high academic standards, but also wants to create that extended family feeling that I mentioned at the beginning. For people that want this kind of environment or students that seek this kind of environment, it just really works great. So, so in terms of somebody saying, you know, this might be what's wrong with Harmony, I think what they really might be saying is this might not just be right for my particular family's style of what we, we're looking for for our kids. You talk about on your website and in other places, uh, the imaginative approach to student-teacher relationships. What does that mean? I think it starts with that concept of the extended family idea that I keep referring back to. And so we make a commitment to families. And from day one, we said that we wanted to develop young people in a holistic way. And holistic way mean we wanted to develop their intellect and academic skills, but we also wanted to develop their social emotional skills as well. Their self-esteem, their group dynamic skills, their ability to compromise and work out things with other people. And most schools say that they have a goal of keeping a balance, trying to balance out their goals with kids, but most schools don't devote really minutes and days and hours to, to doing that. So we, from the beginning, said we were going to be committed to both those. So we tell kids from the beginning, and when I hired teachers, and the students helped help me hire teachers uh, from the high school down to the early childhood, they actually help hire, hire the teachers in developmentally appropriate ways. Obviously, high school kids do it much different than a second and third grade group. But we tell prospective teachers that there's going to be not that distinct line between what they do outside of school and what goes on in school. And we tell, so it's reciprocal. We tell parents and kids that if they're looking for a school where their families want to be very private with what goes on on the weekends or the evenings or the summertime, that this may not be the right place for them. Just like it wouldn't be a right, right place for a teacher who wants to keep their private life totally separate from the kids. We also expect that from the parents and kids that come to Harmony School as well. So that's one of those imaginative concepts of student-teacher relationship. Sometimes we'll actually even prioritize that over the academic class. If there's an issue that comes up, we might postpone a class that's dealing with mathematics or language arts or science to talk about group dynamics and talking about a particular issue that's emerged between kids or between kids and teachers to talk about as a group and try to try to go with the concept, so to speak, that all of us are smarter than one of us and try to try to work together to, to, to solve problems. 
you know, going back to your statement about how you'd like uh, the students and the parents to know about your life away from the school and the teacher's life away from the school. I can think uh, uh, of myself as a young uh, school kid, uh, a rotten young school kid, I may add. I would have been tempted to make a few crank phone calls to you guys. Has that ever happened? Actually, I have to say, uh, I'm hoping you're not giving anybody any ideas here. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> but actually, it never, it never has happened one time. Wow! So it never, it never, and it never occurred to me at the beginning that it might actually interesting enough, Michael. So I'm glad I didn't have you as a student, maybe. But, <laughs> but, but, it really, but it really never has happened to me, nor my wife, nor literally any teacher that I've. It's interesting. You, you know, nobody's ever asked me that question before. But I never have uh, had a teacher report to me anything like that. Nobody's even called me and asked me if my refrigerator was running. <laughs> How do you keep discipline? Is there, uh, is there detention? Is there the stuff that we remember you and I as kids? You know, this long hand of the teacher's law. Well, not really. Uh, I mean, there certainly aren't detentions or those kind of things. And, and discipline has not, for all these years, really been a major issue for a variety of reasons. One is, not only did the students help me hire teachers, they help interview and give input into who the new students are going to be from our application pool. Wow. So the kids... Again, it's done in developmentally appropriate ways. I mean, high school kids, and it also has not only developmentally appropriate ways, it has to be done in a very you know, respectful way, too, to, when we're asking hard questions of, of students or their parents. Because kids choose to come here, they know what the expectations are. And so, and one of those expectations is that they're going to be developing into a self-directed learner, you know, somebody who really has to have more eventually, not right when they come here necessarily, but eventually they're going to have more intrinsic, you know, sort of going for intrinsic awards as opposed to, what is it, extrinsic awards? I mean, because we don't give letter grades very often, sometimes teachers do, but we don't, you don't get the kind of measurements, we don't do standardized testing, so you're really getting constant feedback on how you're doing. And if you're not doing well, you get that feedback as well. We have what we call family meetings in every group. And those are times where people, and then smaller advisories that are smaller groups, but where kids can get, give each other, you know, critical feedback. So consequently, we're able usually to identify problems before, small problems before they become big problems. We have lot, kids have lockers. Most kids, kids are allowed to have locks in their lockers. 95% of the kids choose not to have locks in their lockers. And we also tell kids not necessarily to keep your most valuable items in the world in your locker, but we have very few things being taken from other people's lockers. And even if when they are, usually we're able to figure out what happened because we only have, at the moment, we have 170 students. Everybody, our school, you know, has a philosophy of every student should be known and known well. So nobody should be uh, anonymous. And so consequently, those discipline issues don't really usually emerge in any really extreme way. 
Now, you just mentioned that you have 170 students here at the Harmony School, and my guest again this week is Rock Bonchek, uh, the co-founder and executive director of the Harmony School. 170 students, how many faculty, and how does that translate into class size? Well, we have 16 and a half faculty, 170 students. And I will say our enrollment is down this year. Usually we have 200 students, but because of the virus and all the changes that have taken place over the last three school years uh, and our own vaccination policy uh, here at the school, we have lost some students. So presently we'd like to have 200 students. Where as I said, we're at 170 students now and we have a lot of applicants, but not all the applicants necessarily want to follow our uh, COVID protocols. In terms of the class size, it really develops in the early childhood program, you have basically a you know, one adult for every three students. At the high school, you have you know, one adult basically for every 14 students. Rock, do you teach? Not formally, no, and I really never have from after the first few years I did, but I found myself, I'm a really good teacher when I come in and do a class for two, three, four days, but in terms of developing a curriculum over a whole semester, I always found that challenging. So because I found my own limitations, I really respect the teacher's creativity for the exciting classes they put together for the kids that they, they can sustain their interest you know, over a whole semester. And kids, by the way, teach classes as well, older kids. And again, this is in the usual Harmony format. Right now, we don't have older kids teaching classes to younger kids because the younger kids aren't vaccinated and yeah. the older kids are, and we're really keeping the groups totally separate. It costs money to go to the Harmony School. And in fact, one of the things that the school says is the ability to pay should be of minimal importance well, how do you accomplish that? Well, with the generosity of the Bloomington community and then alumni from Harmony all across the country. So we've, you know, we've got a national network of contributors. It, like I say, you and we are in the same boat. Uh, we've always got our hats out. <laughs> Absolutely. And, but, that, but, but that commitment, Michael, you know, to being accessible to to young people and families, regardless of their income status, you know, was a, was a vital component of Barb and me. And it was a dilemma, you know, because we didn't know for sure how can you sustain an independent school that's not getting government funding and still cover your costs. So it's been from the beginning. At the beginning, we started all of us, all the teachers that worked with Barb and me at the beginning, they had to pay. I mean, it was very minimal, like $15 a month or something like that to teach at the school. So, you know, that was <laughs> So our first money came from the teachers themselves. So having a sliding scale tuition where parents pay 8.5% of their adjusted gross income up to a certain maximum, you know, it's just been key for us from the beginning. And we... Um, only 80%, only 20% of our students pay the full tuition, which is $7,500 a year. 80% of the kids are on either partial or full scholarships. And 45% of the students would be eligible for what they call free or reduced lunch in public schools. 
So they're in a, a, the lower income uh, strata. We call it Harmony School to begin with because we wanted to demonstrate that people could learn both academically, but maybe even more important from a group dynamic and a social emotional uh, perspective, they could learn more effectively in a, a heterogeneous group than if everybody was from the same income background. And because a key component of the school is having kids learn what it's like to live in a pluralistic democracy, we want, it, it wouldn't work if the kids all were coming from the same backgrounds. So we, from day one, have been committed to that statement about accessibility to people regardless of ability to pay. Speaking of kids, and I hope the listeners are going to be able to hear this, you're sitting in your office uh, at Harmony School, the window wide open because it's unseasonably warm, and I can hear at least kids outside uh, yelling and playing and doing what kids do. Well, right now, it's a particularly exciting time. For me, I, mean, I just love looking out my window and door because, because again, because of COVID, we have a lot of tents. It looks like a constant circus going on out here. We have a lot of tents set up all through, all over the campus. So really all the kids that are unvaccinated, the sixth graders on down, spend 100% of their time to 60% of their time, I would say outside learning right now. It's a really nice scene. As I said, I wish we could do it. We've had, uh, we've done, I've done a lot of work with schools in Hawaii. We actually have started a school in Hawaii because oh, we have a whole boy. part of we have a whole part of Harmony that helps schools around the country uh-huh. and around the world to, to learn some of the techniques we've developed and uh, how to become more democratic. So we actually had the opportunity back in the early 2000s to help start a high school somewhere in the country. And because some of our former teachers lived in Hawaii, we actually st- helped start a school in Hawaii. So I've been there many times, but I, I love the idea. They use the outside so much as part of their learning environment. So we've always, we have a beautiful campus. It's two and a half acres and, you know, it's, it's in a beautiful neighborhood, the Elm Heights neighborhood here. But we've really never used the outside as extensively as we have over the last uh, three school years during this time of COVID. So some of those sounds you hear are kids actually having classes out there, not just even just having, not just playing recess or anything like that, but actually just under the tents outside. Of course, as we know, play itself is an educational process. Absolutely. You're in the old Elm Heights Elementary School. How did you get a hold of that structure? Well, and I told you, we started in that, the old uh, 318 North Grand House. And yep. we, we, very, we very quickly found out that we never could renovate that to meet health and fire codes. Then we moved into churches all through Bloomington. And you talk about the generosity of Bloomington. We're not a religious school, but churches had unused spaces, you know, during the daytime that they used for Sunday school on the weekends. So several churches allowed us to use their spaces between 1975 to to 1985. And then in 1985, we basically were approached by some Elm Heights alum saying, would we like to move part of our school, part of our our secondary program here into the Elm Heights building? So we did, and our elementary school was still located on the east side of town at a church. And then 
we just got to the owners of the school, this building where the Monroe County was the Monroe County School Corporation. So we got to know them, you know, pretty well because we were in a sense renting space from them. And then as we got to know them and they gained more confidence in what we were doing, they surprised the heck out of us by saying, you know, would we consider basically buying the school from them? And I said, how much? And they said a dollar. <laughs> I didn't think too long about it, but, but they did invite us to do it. And then we worked with the neighborhood here and the school corporation and the president, John Ryan and Pat Ryan, uh, John's wife, they really helped us a lot to work through all the, the details of, of the um, purchase. And the only thing, the last day, for some reason, the school corporation raised the price from a dollar to ten dollars. <laughs> so, so I had a, I had to pause a little bit on that one, but the um, but we but it fit nice because we had ninety students at the time and we had ten teachers. So we had I mean approximately so almost exactly a hundred people. So we all paid a dime. Everybody put in a dime for the school because we um, wanted to have that symbolize the sense of ownership we were trying to create among the teachers and the students that, that, you know, that this is not a top-down school, that it's really primarily run by the students and the teachers. And so we paid for the school with 100 dimes. The school court didn't know quite what to do with that, with 100 dimes and how to handle, <laughs> how to handle that. And somebody heard about it on the, on the radio show like this or in the newspaper, and they actually donated a plaque to us with everybody's name on it that we still have up in the hall. Uh -huh. That costs 30 times as much as this. <laughs> so the plaque costs about $300. So that's, how, so that's how we obtained it. A website, Rock, called Private School Review says that Harmony has a 17% students of color population, and that's compared to 22% statewide here in Indiana. Do you have an outreach program for students of color? Not specifically, no. And that 17%, you know, related to the Bloomington population of, of children of color, I think is more like 10 or 12%. We do recruitment, so to speak, if you will, just through word of mouth primarily. And we, we would love to have more children of color. Again, it goes, it's consistent with our philosophy related to we want people to be around people unlike themselves. We want to bring Again, that's what we called it Harmony School to begin with. We wanted to bring people together from as many backgrounds as possible. Now, before I say farewell to our guest this week here on Big Talk, I want to remind our listeners, uh, WFHB Fall Fun Drive begins tomorrow, Friday, October 1st, runs through Sunday, October 10th. Go to WFHB.org, press the big red donate button for quick and secure uh, transaction, or give us a call at 812-323-1200. My guest this week here on Big Talk, Steve Rock Bonchek, the executive director and co-founder of Harmony School. Rock, thanks so much for joining us. Well, Michael, it's been a pleasure. I look forward to future conversations with you. 